If you have ever thought about buying an online business, you are in luck today. The one and only Mike Swigunski, aka Mike Swig, number one best-selling author. He specializes in helping entrepreneurs buy online businesses. He's helped broker over a hundred million dollars in deals. Worked and traveled in a hundred plus countries. Digital nomad OG, best-selling author, featured in Forbes, CNBC, Entrepreneur, and Lonely Planet, and helped build one of the world's fastest-growing companies. Check him out, Mike Swigunski. Com, also on his YouTube channel, also on his Instagram and Digital Nomad OG. We have many, many friends of friends and we're finally hopping on a podcast and he's going to go over what you need to know if you're thinking about buying an online business. This is what he does. So Mike, welcome to the pod. Yeah, Riley, thanks for having me, man. And it's been great to connect virtually. I know we we didn't cross paths in Thailand, but uh, hopefully this next year we, we see each other in Europe or, or Thailand or somewhere around the world. Yeah, so appreciate the, the in-depth intro there. And essentially over the past six years I've been in this industry, I was uh, employee number four at a company called Empire Flippers. Uh, they are essentially the biggest curated marketplace to buy and sell online businesses. I still work with them uh, on a very regular basis. I still also um, do deals through them, but I exited the company in 2020, right before COVID uh, to kind of build my own empire and start doing acquisition entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, I'd published a best-selling book. So my businesses were starting to take off and decided to to put my primary focus on that. And it's been a very fun journey and a very lucrative journey as well, which is something that I think a lot of people consider taking a similar path where you start off with building a side hustle or potentially buying a side hustle to a place where you can kind of replace your current income. And that's exactly what I did. I joined a startup, you know, there's four or five people. Here's a, a photo that I love sharing, uh, you know, growing the team, one of the, the fastest growing companies uh, in the United States from when I joined as employee number four to hundreds of people all around the world, fully remote. And it was just a great company and a, a great industry to learn so much about and kind of help pioneer. Because one, you're seeing how the internet is monetized, how every way possible people are making money. I got to see behind the scenes. I got to see the dollar amounts, how much profit they're generating, uh, what types of multiples these businesses are selling at. And then also all while doing this while building a remote team um, around the world. So it's given me kind of a unique perspective on how to look at entrepreneurship through a different lens. And I do think there's a lot of different paths people can take with the business realm. And I kind of break it down into three ways. There is under the entrepreneurship umbrella, there's kind of the startup, you know, funding capital from the Silicon Valley route, which is very different because it's kind of a not profit focused. It's more just like user acquisitions, building something yeah. that can can raise money and funds. And there's going to be certain business types and models that are going to be more conducive to that route. Then there's the other route, which I think a lot of people in our community are more focused on. We're focused on profit-focused businesses and essentially bootstrapping them. So making as much money as early as possible without raising capital. Um, but there's a third route, and that's essentially acquisition entrepreneurship, which is buying a business that's already making you know, five, $10,000 a month in profit and then growing and scaling that 
from $5,000 a month to, you know, $20,000 a month in profit because the journey to take it from five to $10,000 to 20 to $30,000 is going to be a lot shorter path if you know what you're doing than it is going to be starting from zero and trying to get it to that, that same realm. Usually that path is going to end in failure. 95% of, you know, startup businesses fail. So if you're only focusing on acquiring that 5%, they're going to one already have that product market fit. They're going to have potentially three or four years of financial data that's showing the trends for the industry or the business. And in some cases, a, an acquisition that I just um, just bought, the business had been around for 10 years, year over year growth. Uh, and essentially it's, it's in an industry that I don't think anybody would have ever thought this was a niche to get started. And I'd never heard of it even before buying it. Um, so it was just one of these things where the product market fit was there. It's been lasting for 10 years and there was just so many low hanging fruits in this acquisition. So this business was valued at around half a million dollars. Um, and essentially we were able to structure a deal where, you know, you put some money up front. And again, when you see a valuation, you got to understand that it's all negotiable. Everything you see mm -hmm. out there is negotiable the price, the multiple, what's included, the training time, all this stuff you can negotiate. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions out there is people think they have to submit a certain offer at a certain level. But again, it's going to vary deal by deal. Some people will only take 10% of list price, but some people will take 50% cash up front of list price. And then the, you know, 30% more over a 12 or 24 month period. So you can get really creative with these deal structures. And that's essentially how we structure this deal. We are putting a percentage up front and then we created an earnout, which uh, an earnout is essentially seller free financing. It's an interest free loan from the seller. So let's say you have a, a sales price of around $500,000. You put up $350,000 of cash up front, meaning they're getting that as soon as the deal closes. And then you're getting an extra $100,000 uh, over a 24-month period in uh, you know, monthly installments. Now, the really creative thing is you can just have it set where every month you're having to pay this, essentially a mortgage payment or a free, a free loan. You're having to pay that back. And if you don't pay that back, you would essentially default on the business. But the way that I like to get creative is to tie these earnouts to some type of responsibility or to structure them in a way where there's some sort of buy-in from the seller. In our case, we had about 10 different bullet points to dev development changes that needed to be implemented to the business. So that way it had him tied in and he was essentially the developer or the seller was going to make these changes to our business that we saw as uh, big improvements to grow the business. So uh, a few things when when you're looking at a business, a lot of times people are, are having the misconception that, oh, this this business doesn't have recurring revenue set up, so it's not a good business, or it's got a really high churn rate. 30% churn rate is really high. That means you know when time comes to renew, only 70% of people are renewing. But my sort of philosophy and lens is like, I see that as an opportunity for growth, especially like this example, they didn't have recurring revenue turned on. That's a simple switch in the back of Stripe. You change the, the pricing settings and every year it automatically bills them, collects the credit card data. Just and the way they had it structured- it from a, from a one-time payment to a yearly payment? Yeah, exactly. So 
there's a lot of uh, like low hanging fruits where it's like, okay, that churn rate from 30% churn is now going to go up to probably five to 10% just with a simple development change. So that's kind of the opportunities that we're looking for. And in this business particular, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about these low hanging fruits because this is kind of what I look for when I'm performing my own due diligence on businesses, what type of moat is around this business? And then what sort of opportunities are there to grow this business? To build the same software that we acquired from scratch, most likely would have cost about the same as we bought it for, but it's already generating around $11,000 a month in profit. And we see a very clear path to grow this to $30,000, dollars $50,000 a month in recurring revenue. Uh, and, and how we're going to do that is one, they haven't changed the prices in 10 years. So they set prices 10 years ago. They haven't increased by a cent. Um, so we're essentially 12 xing the pricing by taking the normal one year, one time price and just turning it into monthly. So $9 a year is now going to turn into $9 a month. And that's essentially a 12 X on the pricing. Um, and then there was a lot of other low hanging fruits where essentially to, to sign up for this, the software program. Uh, you had to go through this super long form, a lot of uh, data that wasn't actually being required to do the deal to to get them onboarded. So every extra field that you ask somebody when they're trying to get your your payment, it's like a five to ten percent drop off. Every extra step you add is a five to ten percent drop off. So this was like a, a huge uh, change that we're going to make to just really consolidate that. And instead of like ten steps to get onboarded. It's going to be a few clicks. You know, you're going to yeah. input your credit card data. And the way they had it set up before is you would get to the payment page. It would send you an email. You'd have to go click your email and come back to another payment page. So it was just a, a very clunky yeah. setup. And it was because the, the developer had built this 10 years ago. I think he, he didn't have much of a, a business savvy marketing mindset. So that's kind of where we're coming in with like a marketing conversion rate optimization mindset to really grow this business. And that's another big thing. A lot of people focus on when you're, you're trying to get your business, right? Everyone's like, I need more traffic. I need more people to my website. I need more customers in the store. And I don't think that's always the best approach. Let's say you get 10 customers in your store and you're like, I need to double that to hit my goals. What if you just focus on converting those people in your store? If you focused on doubling yeah. their conversion rate. Yeah. Just, so, just fix that crappy conversion rate. Yeah. So a lot of times that's the easier path because it can be expensive to two or three extra traffic, but it can mm -hmm. be a lot cheaper to essentially improve your conversion rate optimization. So that's something that we're focusing mainly on is just getting more of these customers to convert. And nice. another interesting way is the pricing, uh, the pricing tables for this business. There was four or five different pricing plans. The pricing was very obscure. You needed a spreadsheet to figure out which plan is best for you. And so we're making it a lot more simple. And we're also removing a a free tier. They had a completely free subscription. More than a hundred people are signing up for this every day. And we're essentially removing that free tier and only providing a free trial for 14 days on all of our plans. So the problem with the free subscription is it's giving them access to the software, but it's only giving them a five or 10% of the features, right? So they're not actually getting a good experience of the what the software can do. So that's why we decided to change it to a 14-day free trial. We let them 
get the full access to what they want to use. And that's going to convert at a much higher rate because we already have them logged in. We already have their, their information. And essentially, they'll have 14 days to figure out if they want to keep the software and continue using it. So removing that free plan is going to force people into essentially trying out one of our upper tier plans and getting a full ride uh, in a car. It's like if you yeah. are wanting to buy a Ferrari and they're like, oh, well, you can test drive this Toyota. It's not going to give you the experience of, of driving the Ferrari, right? So uh, that's essentially kind of the approach we're going with here. Nice. Um, and as far as uh, you know, businesses, have you ever looked into acquiring a business like for, for your skill set? Riley, you know, you have skills in FBA and PPC, right? Have you ever looked at buying a, a business that maybe they're not even doing PPC on, on Amazon and you could see like some sort of optimization? Have you ever considered that? Yeah. Yeah. Last year we were looking a, a fair amount at, uh, at businesses to buy. Um, and so, and, you know, I, I talk to clients all the time, management clients where I'm like, Oh yeah, tons of low-hanging fruit, like you said. Price testing, all, all this conversion rate sucks, all the same type of stuff. So yeah. And what was some of the things like, you know, I'm curious why you didn't end up going through with the deal, or you know, what were some of the things that you kind of came up with? Like, okay, this isn't uh something for me yet, or was there any hurdles that you had? Um, we so me and me and Park, my business partner, are you know, it was totally a side idea, and we we're like right there was no one that was really overseeing the empire flippers listings that could like right be checking that every week it's like oh yeah that was my to-do list and it kind of just got got forgotten and so yeah right. it was it was basically it just being being a side deal um and never really to just dive in yeah no that's that's exactly who i i kind of appeal to with my program is people they know they want to buy a business but it is very time conducing thing to do uh mm -hmm. even with an optimized process it's going to take three to four months and a lot of times if you're if you don't have somebody focused on looking at it on a week-to-week -week basis when new deals and new inventories coming out those deals are going to get scooped up the best deals you know are getting sold fairly quickly um, so a lot of times if it's not top of mind, it's going to be overlooked and you'll, you'll miss out on some good deals. So that's essentially what I do is I, I help people kind of align their skill sets with a business that they're going to acquire, bring them deals every week that's going to meet those criteria and also deals that I see opportunities for them to grow these types of businesses. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, you know, you're, you're kind of like the ideal person who's busy making a lot of money with their own business. But again, they're open to, to potentially acquiring another business. And you can just plug in your agency and your skill sets to, mm -hmm. to grow this business at a, at a lower cost than you know anybody else could, right? So yeah. uh, one thing that I love here is a, a quote from a Forbes article I wrote about this is the supply and demand curve follow a similar parallel to the real estate market. Uh, and this is from an older post on Forbes. So when it was a seller's market for real estate and online businesses or profitable websites, and this was very true. Last year, we saw a crazy influx of anybody who was trying to list their home in the United States, it would get cash offers, sometimes above like what the, the list price. And it was really hard to buy a, a, a house last year because the offers were so competitive. And essentially, it was kind of a seller's market for, for online businesses. Um, there was a lot of big aggregators who have pulled together billions of dollars of capital to acquire 
uh, online businesses. And mo more specifically, they were looking at e-commerce and Amazon FBA businesses because for a, a lot of reasons, I think big capital can get behind physical items where they, they're not as in tune to get behind a software or a digital product or an affiliate site. And I think they just saw, okay, we can grow these businesses and we can get 15 to 20% um, profit on our investment, which in you know the big money realm is a huge amount compared to the five to 10% that they're getting from you know stocks or, or real estate or something. So the, there has been a big shift this year because one, the, the recession, a lot of capital has dried up and people are just kind of scared. So they're, they're, they're a little hesitant about their businesses. They want to grab these lump sums and just coast out the next three or four years. So it's kind of transitioned from a seller's market to now what is a buyer's market. And I'm seeing a mm. lot of sellers more, more willing to negotiate on valuations um, more open to deal structures and in general, just looking to get that, that lump sum because they're a little bit scared of, of the economy yeah. uh, and, and the way it's going. But for my mind, you can acquire a business that's making 10 to $20,000 a month in profit, and then you can grow and scale that to a much higher uh, level. And yeah. the turnaround on some of my acquisitions, I've gotten profit back as little as eight months. So what I invested in the the software, I was able to return that in eight months after I started growing that. And that's kind of what I'm planning to do with this new acquisition. So let me what, go what to- was the, uh, What was the uh, buy price again for the thing you bought? For, so the software price? I just acquired uh, was listed at around $515,000. Mm, nice. So, and, and what that, about the that one that you uh, made all the profit back in, in eight months? What was that purchase price like? Yeah, so that was a smaller deal. It was a private deal. It was fifteen thousand dollars. So the business was making. Yeah, that's not. This bad. was my first acquisition. It was making fifteen thousand, or it was making five hundred dollars a month, and now it's making around three thousand dollars. And this is a business right. that, again, is uh, it. I work on it one hour a month just to kind of stay involved in the business. It's all outsourced to a virtual assistant, and again. Yeah you're not looking to buy a job with these acquisitions. Yeah. And a lot of times the businesses that require so much workload, they'll actually get rejected from a lot of marketplaces because they're just not a sellable asset. And so if you're thinking about building a business, there's a great book called uh, Built to Sell. And I highly recommend every entrepreneur out there, whether you want to sell your business or not, I highly recommend reading this book because if you're going to build a business, you want to build it in a way that's a sellable asset. And the reason behind that is by making it a sellable asset, it's going to be a much better business to run. And I've seen people who are like, man, I'm just fed up with my business. I'm ready to sell it. And I say, hey, six months before you do that, implement these changes. Uh, essentially, go a, a few weeks without you running the day-to-day -day operations. So implement all these steps to kind of build yourself out of it. And then they're like, hey, you know, I hired a $2,000 a month employee to replace myself and they've taken 95% of my workload. And now I just kind of do the big macro overview. They've made their business a lot more sellable, but they've built it in a way where after they've made those changes, they're like, man, this is much more comfortable. I'm kind of just focused on the big picture stuff. And a lot of times that shift, it can be hard to make for an entry level you know, the first few years of your business because the margins just aren't there. But when you have the margins to essentially outsource and hire and replace yourself, you can make your business a lot more sellable, a lot better place to work on. 
and you can focus on those big changes that are going to take your business from, you know, a small business to a bigger business or a more profitable business. Um, and so that's the thing that I love about this industry is it's all profit focused. So when you see a business listed online and the three marketplaces that I recommend, if you have $50,000 up to around a million dollars, Empire Flippers is going to have the best options, the most yep. inventory. And again, these are all, all curated businesses, meaning they've passed uh, a four to six week process of Empire Flippers looking at the financial data and checking out multiple different things to make sure that it's a legitimate business. And then there's a few other brokers that I work with, FE International and Quiet Light. And those are generally going to be um, the one to $10 million range. But again, they all kind of overlap uh, at some point or spectrum, but Quiet Light is generally going to be the very large deals, five to 10 million. FE International is kind of specialized in one to 5 million and Empire Flippers is like 50,000 up to one, but even them, they get some bigger deals than that. So when you're looking at a deal though, it's important to understand how the valuations work. And it's fairly simple formula. It's the average net profit from the trailing 12 months. So after all the expenses and everything get taken out, you get that net profit number. And just to make it easy for, for this formula, let's say we, we've got $10,000 a month on average over the past 12 months. Then you're going to take that monthly multiple and that'll get you the list price. So let's say it's 30X. So 30X times 10,000, we're looking at $300,000 for this business, right? Um, now you're probably wondering is where do you come up with 30X, 40X, 50X? How is that multiple actually created? And a lot of times people think it's subjective or it's just used on some formulaic basis, but essentially it's, it's kind of generated based on a little bit of how the market's doing, like what are things selling for? What is the supply and demand for these businesses? But a lot of times it's just based on the higher the multiple, the lower the risk. So a few examples I like to use is the multiple mm. should most likely be higher if it's an older business. A business that's been around for 10 years, every year it's shown year over year growth. It has a huge moat, meaning to start this business, they would have to spend two or three years building the software. Maybe there's a trademark on the software or in the industry. Um, maybe they also have channel diversity where they're, make, they're being monetized by multiple different ways. Uh, if a business have, has monthly recurring revenue versus just every month they're starting over, the monthly recurring revenue is going to receive a much higher multiple. And essentially all these factors go into is after you buy this business, it's going to be a much lower risk uh, for the buyer to, to grow this business, but you're going to buy it at usually a higher multiple. And this is why software businesses are generally at a much higher multiple. You'll see some software businesses at a 45, 50, 60 X, because they're extremely optimized to reduce that risk. Um, you know, they spent years and years developing the software. They have recurring revenue. So every month, the people who signed up before are getting auto build. And essentially, this just makes it a, a lot more of a safe asset. But from my sort of mm -hmm. perspective, I love to find these software businesses that are under optimized. And within a few days, you can change the prices you can increase the CRO and you can just essentially optimize this business instead of having to, you know, 
buy a business that's fully optimized and drive more traffic to it because that's going to be a lot harder, yeah. a lot more time consuming. And usually it's a lot yeah. more expensive. So we can dig into a few of the multiple trends here. This is a, from Empire Flippers report. They should be coming out with the 2022 numbers here shortly. And essentially, this is just going through the types of businesses, what they're selling for, and kind of the influx. So they, they do it. They release this report every year. And this is actually one of the reports that I helped found at Empire Flippers. So it's, it's really good to see. It's extremely useful to see where the market's going. And basically, uh, you can see in 2020, there's content businesses, e-commerce businesses, and other businesses. And essentially, they, they group e-com and FBA. I think probably physical products is a better title for that. Yeah. But you can see the total sales volume, how long it was on the marketplace for the average time to sales multiple. The trailing 12 months is uh, TTM, uh, for those of you who, who aren't familiar with that. Um, trailing 12 months is just the last 12 months basically. And it's like, you know, when we go from January to February, the, the trailing 12 month window changes. So content businesses is kind of shocking to see 39 X because I think that's fairly high. And during this period of time, there was a huge influx of people buying these online businesses just because money was pouring in for content businesses, for e-commerce businesses, so it's going to be really interesting to see what happened last year because it was it was kind of a, a down year uh, as far as capital. But content businesses were on the marketplace for around 30 days, e-commerce businesses around 70 days, and then other businesses were on the market for around 64 days. The big shocking thing though is for the sales multiple, 39x for content businesses. So business content business making $10,000 a month was essentially selling for 39X, which a $10,000 business would be selling for uh, $390,000 versus an FBA business, which would have been selling for $300,000 and other businesses. So you're looking at content businesses selling for around $90,000 extra on average. Um, so these, these statistics are really interesting to see. And the interesting thing is a lot of these numbers are coming down from what I've seen. Here's kind of a breakdown of every type of business model. You can see the difference between e-commerce and FBA. It's not a huge difference. Nowadays, most businesses that are e-commerce are selling on FBA and vice versa. You know, Sometimes it's 80% FBA, sometimes it's 20% e-commerce, uh, and sometimes that's flipped. But the biggest shock to me is just seeing how Amazon Associates businesses are were selling at 40X. I, I need to reach out to them and see okay. kind of the, the data behind that. But they break down this a little bit more in depth on their report. If you just search industry report, Empire Flippers, uh, yeah. you can find a full- so con Yeah, I was wondering. So content businesses, that is affiliate slash SEO sites. Yep. I see. Yeah, exactly. That yeah, makes so sense because if they're a strong SEO position, that's usually pretty stable. And then it's usually run by VAs just doing, you know, these yeah, basic Yeah, it's ex extremely passive, right? Yeah. But- now with chat GPT, there's been a big downtrend for these content-based businesses because they think, you know, a lot of times the, the market's going to get flooded with new people re releasing content. So in some aspects, I think this multiple is going to come down a lot. And I've seen that in the, in the coming years. So uh, mm -hmm. that's why it's so interesting to review these reports and kind of break it down uh, year by year. Yep. So you can see SaaS is at 43x. And 
I personally think SaaS multiples are going to continue going up just because there's a higher kind of mode around them compared to other businesses. But as you can see here, they have the, the highest multiple of anything because they have the biggest moat and are usually the safest investments. And that's why I've sort of geared myself towards these businesses. Again, just because it's listed for 43X doesn't mean that's what you're going to be paying. Um, you can negotiate down and find sellers who are a little bit more willing to sell at a, at a, at a good price. So here's, here's another interesting article from TechCrunch. Um, basically some of the biggest aggregators, and I'm sure you're familiar with, with these people, Riley, I, I think you mentioned a few of them had been in talks with you. Mm -hmm. These aggregators, the way they worked is they raised, you know, $10 million, $20 million. Some of them raised more than a billion dollars, uh, in funds to only buy Amazon FBA businesses. But a lot of these aggregators have their funds have just completely dried up you know, for a lot of these businesses to stay afloat, they're having to raise capital to keep their, their kind of employees, their payroll, everything going. And their strategy was essentially, let's buy Amazon FBA and e-commerce businesses. We'll raise millions of dollars in capital. We'll build a team and then we'll plug these businesses into our team and essentially try to grow them. Now on paper, it sounds like an amazing idea, but I think the problem that a lot of these uh, businesses were having were Amazon FBA has a few issues. It's a great business model, but it's very capital intensive. So for every dollar you're making in profit, a lot of times you're having to reinvest that to buy more inventory, right? And especially during the COVID times, people's biggest issue was running out of inventory. And if you run out of inventory on Amazon, it's kind of a, a terrible thing to happen because you're losing all that momentum and a lot of listings and a lot of data can, can flop. And for people who aren't familiar with Amazon FBA, it's fulfilled by Amazon about, I don't know what percentage, 60% of the, the revenue from Amazon is coming from third-party sellers. It's something crazy. So whenever you buy something on Amazon, you're essentially buying this product from a third-party person um, who's buying the product from somewhere else around the world, sending it to the Amazon. And that order being sent to Amazon is then being sent over to the individual or the person purchasing this. So the, the aggregators had this idea to essentially buy all these businesses, but a few of them started gaining traction. And a lot of copycats kind of came to the space just because people were seeing that, okay, if company X, Y, and Z isn't investing in this, then they've done so much research to figure out that it's a good investment vehicle. And I think what happened was a lot of these aggregators were competing over the same deals. And again, similar to the housing market where you're buying at the top of the market, it's going to be a much harder time to get a return on your investment. So essentially, let's say you have a 30X multiple, but the business should probably be valued at 25X. That's an extra five months. Uh, of time in general that it's going to take for you to get your investment back. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but a lot of times there's other factors that go into this. And especially when you're buying a capital intensive uh, business like FBA, your margins can get plummeted by more uh, inventory. So you're having to invest two or three months of profit to kind of keep you afloat for the next few months. So it's kind of this juggling process 
of buying inventory, knowing how to predict how much inventory you need to buy based on last year. And Riley, so I'm curious, you know, you've got a lot of firsthand experience on this. How was your, your sort of experience over the past few years with, with buying inventory for FBA, with trying to keep things uh, in stock? Yeah, that's our number one um, thing requirement for brands is your supply chain strong. If you run out of stock, everything's fucked. And yeah. so, yeah, during COVID, it was just fucked. Yeah, and it wasn't really due to any lack of preparation from entrepreneurs like these people that I, I work with. You know, to build a million dollar FBA business, you you have to have things working pretty well, right? Um, mm -hmm. It was just things kind of beyond your control, and it wasn't just like one person in the supply chain messing things up. It was multiple steps of the supply chain were being disrupted. Um, so it was like the best and worst time for. FBA sellers because online shopping like 10 X, but then the supply chains were messed up. So yeah, if you uh, had a, a lot of stock, which luckily we did for the sticky wallet, shout out my product. And, uh, nice man. We ended up, you know, being good, but yeah, it was COVID in a nutshell, some winners and a lot of losers. So, so I'm curious, uh, Riley, when you are bringing on new people to work with for FBA. Is there any any sort of things that you're looking for? Are you wanting them to already be doing PPC or is your ideal client somebody who's just generating traffic organically and you're like, you're the PPC person who's going to opt fully optimize them? Uh, it's about half and half. Um, half are like just starting on Amazon. So it's a launch and half are, they're already been on there for a while. We're going to optimize everything. Pretty much everyone's is if you're on Amazon, you you got PPC turned on, right? So optimizing it. Yeah. What are some of the? Is there any any sort of, I guess, tricks or hacks that you you would be willing to share about PPC? Just in general, did you figure it out just on Amazon? Did you get familiar with Facebook or Google Ads, or how did you get started with uh, Amazon PPC? Yeah, we're we're Amazon agency. So yeah, I came out to to Chiang Mai. It might have been that same year. Uh, with the Empire Flippers did their thing. So I I uh, came out to uh, the Dropship Lifestyle Conference and uh, like like I met Gregory there and a bunch of uh, like uh, Justin and like OG uh, Empire Flippers guys. But I got started in FBA around that time in Chiang Mai. Right. And then 2018, uh, me and Parker and a guy in the US, Ryan, uh, started the Amazon PPC agency, Amazon Management Agency. And so, um, yeah, the tips, tricks, like my uh, philosophy is a lot of Amazon sellers are stuck in PPC world. They're stuck in ACOS world. You need to see the whole picture of the market on page one. Your sales went down. Could have been because some new Chinese copycats came in the game. It could because, yeah. be because your rating just dropped from, from 4 to 3.5. That's going to screw your conversion rate. And so it's like, you got to see the big picture. People are just like stuck in, stuck in this, like Amazon ads equals my Amazon success uh, world. So, yeah. Yeah. I do think there's a lot of external factors that go into that. And obviously if you're sending traffic to your page, having a more optimized page with good reviews, with amazing photos, with a good product description, Again, that's probably uh, the best place to start before you even start sending traffic to anything—a website, yeah. a you know, e-commerce store, an Amazon store. Yeah. So, I think that's probably one of the best places to start because you want to be sending more traffic into a fine-tuned funnel. And if it has all these holes and leaks, you're essentially going to be throwing away and lighting money on fire 
even though it might increase your conversions, it's probably yeah. not going to be the most optimal. Yeah. And then there's a, there's another tip worth noting is, uh, so Amazon DSP ads is, is a, a new thing in the last few years. Are you familiar or heard of that? I have not actually. So, would so love it's, to hear a, more it's about a it. Amazon, it's like Amazon's version uh, of Google ads. So it's your Amazon sponsored ad, but on other websites. And so it will retarget your Amazon visitors that have visited your product page, oh. retarget them on other websites. And it will just target fresh, cold audiences based on a wow. lookalike audience of your Amazon customers. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> and so it's like most brands don't even know this exists. And so wow. pretty much all of the uh, clients that we hook up to it, it's like great ROI. And so if you're an Amazon seller, is one tip, look into that. Yeah. No, I think it's it's a great tip. Even if you're not an Amazon seller, if you just have a website or business, sometimes retargeting just w whatever your organic traffic and then setting up retargeting or remarketing on Google or Facebook, that can have crazy high ROIs because they've spent time on your website. Maybe they dropped off because they're on their phone, they're at the gym, they're busy, and they just need a gentle reminder later on when they're at home, they've got their laptop, they've got their credit card out. So a lot of times just retargeting people that have been to your website is going to be extremely powerful. And that's great to see Amazon's kind of building out that sort of yeah. feature set. Um, so that's really good yeah. to see. Yeah. They have a crazy uh, amount of data. It's uh, it's pretty scary. And so it's, it's yeah, for um, if your product has good reviews, you know, good conversion rate, it, uh, it can be, it can be potentially uh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty big. And so, yeah, that kind of low, low hanging fruit can be uh, good for some Amazon sellers. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, have you done any KDP businesses? Because I see that as uh, somebody who can crack the code for for KDP business. And yeah. a lot of these these businesses are for sale. And I think they're selling at fairly good multiples. And KDP is uh, essentially if you buy a book on Amazon, a lot of times they're printing those books or they're the Kindle version. And sometimes these KDP businesses can only be converting organic traffic and they haven't even played around with ads before. Um, so I see that as like definitely a big opportunity in the space to find somebody who's, who, who doesn't have any ads running and then you increase the sales just by turning on But KDP ads. I've played around with them, man. They're it's, it's not an easy code to crack. So I definitely see a lot of value in using an agency, um, who can save you a ton of time and money. And essentially the idea with an agency is you invest X amount of money, you're going to get much more back, maybe two or three X in your investment. Um, yeah. Have you done anything with KDP ads or have you played around with them? Yeah, we've had a few KDP clients. I've known about it from the OG days uh, <laughs> yeah. when it, people used to be, a few guys in the Chiang Mai pun space in the early days were making 30 profit in 30 K a month. It's like crazy. Um, and you know, and actually my younger brother last year got into the KDP game. He's also an FBA guy for about five years now. He said he's got about 10 books up, uh, 10 eBooks up now. Um, and so I've always been interested in it. And then in the past few years, um, they made it really easy to upload the audiobook version onto audible. And it's a very similar, um, royalties model there. So it's like you can almost get double, like some niches have the audiobooks are consumed like more. And so, yeah, it's, that's very interesting um, to potentially um, look, look at acquiring uh, one of those. 
Yeah, that's that's one of the things I, I'll be interested. Did you mention that KDP now has ads for Audible or is it is that something new? No, it makes it where you it's easier to put your book also as audiobook oh, on version. Audible. Yeah. And yeah. you get paid per per audiobook listen or or something like that. Yeah. I would say like from my experience with my book and my audiobook, the audiobook does better. It's getting less sales, but it, the big issue with Amazon is Amazon's kind of made a Kindle price at 99 cents. So it's it's kind of like the iTunes, right? You wanted to buy one song, one song was typically 99 cents, which is good because it gets a lot of volume, but the cost of an Audible book is usually 15 to 20 dollars. So people are putting a lot more perceived value behind an Audible book. But again, if you've already gone through the process of making a book, it can be like $500 to get a, a good audio book made. And Amazon's process is very streamlined to help create that. So yeah. that's definitely something that if you have a book is another big thing. If you buy a KDP business, you can turn all those books into audiobooks. You don't even have mm -hmm. to narrate yourself. You mm -hmm. can hire uh, voice actors through their platform. So uh, mm. It's definitely, definitely a really interesting way. And there's always ways to, to kind of buy these businesses and optimize no matter what your skill set or niche is. Um, so yeah, I'd be curious to see. Uh, as far as like the buyer timeline, this is kind of generally, you know, what we see if you're wanting to buy a business, it's usually going to take three or four months. Typically, it's going to have a month or so of the research stage. This is essentially figuring out what type of business you want to buy, how much liquidity you have, and that's kind of the first question I ask people is like, how liquid are you to buy this? How much money do you have set aside for an investment? Because that's really going to dictate what level of deals we can, we can look at. And, you know, if you have like 150K in cash to invest, and then you've got another 100K in stocks that you're willing to sell off because you're just going to get a much higher return, you know, that, that puts you at 250K, you can look up to, you know, 350, 400K. Uh, in deal and try to negotiate down. So that research stage, depending on your price point, if you have half a million dollars, there's going to be a lot more inventory than if you have, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars. There's just not that many deals, or really a good place to buy deals like that. So that's kind of the first part of the stage is just finding a deal that matches up to your buying criteria. The purchase stage is going to be getting on the phone with the seller, asking them in-depth questions about the business, digging into any discrepancies that you see that come up um, during a due diligence. And then after that, depending on where you buy through, there's going to be a migration and inspection period. This is great because essentially it reduces your risk. Nobody has the, the lock and key at the same time. It's held by a third party. There's a, usually a 14-day inspection period. And during this inspection period, you're essentially getting the business switched over to you. The funds need to be consistent to the trailing 12 months. So for example, if the, the business is being migrated and the earnings just drop to zero for some reason, then you can you know back out of the deal. There's a lot of like protection in place for that. Um, and then after that, the business is fully migrated. Once the 14-day inspection period ends, the assets kind of get uh, transferred and the money is released to the seller. And then after that is usually uh, a growth plan that I help implement. And this is kind of what where a big value comes. Uh, a lot of times people who work with me, they're getting their, their value back just because I'm saving a ton of time to find the right deals. But during the negotiation stage, I've helped save people in my program hundreds of thousands of dollars. So just by having the structure, the deal and the right way yeah. to find that win-win. Uh, and there's just something, if you've read anything about negotiations, 
having a third party person kind of be not necessarily the bad guy, but just being this third party to help negotiate yeah. is going to give you a lot more leverage. Uh, and that's why I find it part of my special specialty is because I know a lot of people in the space. I know what these businesses sell for. And again, I know why to actually justify these offers. A lot of times people will submit an offer, but I like to submit an offer saying, Hey, I think it's worth and valued at this price point because of X, Y, and Z and actually adding some tangible details and why it's worth that much. So yeah. People generally respond a lot better with that in negotiations instead yeah, of just blindly the, saying you understand how the business works and yeah, exactly. So yeah, typically if you're, if you're looking to buy a business or sell a business, this is something that I I'm working in every day with people from all, all walks of life, all types of businesses. Um, so I do one-on-one -on -one, uh, programs for helping people buy I just uh, put the final touches on more of a DIY, do-it-yourself kind of program for buying a business. So if you're interested in any of that stuff, you can just uh, get in touch with me. Mike Swigunski on Instagram, mikeswigunski.com. Don't hesitate to reach out. I'm pretty active on all social media, but Instagram is probably going to be the, the fastest way to reach out to me. So don't hesitate to slide into my DMs or you can send me an email or something at uh, mike at uh, globalcareerbook.com. Awesome. Awesome. So any awesome. questions that you had, Riley, before we wrap up here? That's a great, great overview there. Um, yeah, this is, um, yeah, I get, I get asked about this a good amount. Um, you know, Riley, I sold my business. What should I do now? Like, what's the, what's the next, you know, they're like, Riley, what's the trends? What's the, what should I do? And so that's really interesting. And so is there like a, a guide on this, like I, I wanted to ask you, what are the list of those sites that you can go and look at them again? Like, do you have a, a blog post or a, a download sheet or something? Yeah, if you go, I'll put it in the chat here. Uh, essentially, I've got a, a website that, you know, kind of goes through everything to know about buying online businesses. Um, mm -hmm. You just go to globalcareerbook.com in the programs okay. uh, section there. If you click buy, sell oh. online businesses, there'll be uh, if you scroll down a bit, apply for the hands-free program. Um, below that is the the buy online business. If you click that that button on the right, this one, yeah, or info buying. info buying, yeah. So this this page is going to have a right. lot more content. It's going to have a free due diligence checklist. And again, if you okay. want to get in touch with me, I offer free buying consultation. So you can go to this page and apply um, to get on the phone with me. Due diligence checklist. There you go. Boom, boom, boom. Heck yeah, man. So, yeah, that's definitely a, a common thing. I, I talk with people who are selling their business is like, hey, I sold my kind of, uh, you know, monthly recurring income. What do I do now? I think what happens mm -hmm. to people is they get this big lump sum and then, you know, it's like, okay, I got a half million dollars, but then each month mm -hmm. it just starts chipping away and it's going down mm -hmm. instead of up. And they're like, man, well, what should I do now? And depending on what your skill set is, it's usually best to like buy a business, optimize it to a certain point and then flip it. Um, and that's usually what most entrepreneurs do, but they start from scratch and that timeline can be a lot further. You know, starting from scratch to selling could be five years, but buying a business to flipping can be a year or two. You know, essentially what the skill sets you learn from your first business can kind of correlate into buying and flipping a business. So, yep. Nice, nice, nice. All right, cool, man. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for the uh, presentation there. 
And uh, yeah, links in the description to, to all the stuff, guys. And yeah, more info, email Mike or hit him up on his website, Instagram. Um, and uh, yeah, if you watch to the end, don't forget to leave a like, check out his channel, share this with a friend that has been thinking about buying a business. You know, as we said in the beginning, it's 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 always that side idea, but looks like now is a pretty good time in a in a buyer's market. So. Let's make it happen, guys. And then uh, if you have questions, put them in the put them in the YouTube comments. Um, if you want to, if you want me to make a a follow up to video uh, of this topic, if you want us to come back and, and do something else as as well, we can do that. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Riley. And yeah, looking forward to connecting with with people in your audience. And again, I'm putting out content around this space every week, so uh, any subscribes would be greatly appreciated. Trying to get the grow the YouTube channel, doubling down on it. So Riley yeah. would love to pick your brain one day about uh, you know growing a YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm still working on that as well. So, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll. Uh, We'll, uh, we'll see you on Instagram and uh, yeah, we'll keep in touch. Awesome.